I'm a big proponent in family devotions and family altar time. And uh, we give out every two months, we give out a devotional for, to help folks with that. Um, I actually am reading out of a couple right now. Not, not, you know, I'm not doubly spiritual or anything, but, you know, I just use different devotionals for different purposes. And one of the ones that I've been using every day has been a, a book called Magnificent Prayer by Nick Harrison. And it was recommended by Scott Pauley. I should know better than to follow Scott Pauley's recommendations. Because when Scott Pauley recommends a book, it's usually going to be very convicting. And this one is no different. So I'm going to quit listening to him and uh, start finding out what Joel Osteen recommends. No, I'm going to... Uh... <laughs> That'll have me in the Sears catalog, probably. But... Uh... but um... It's really built around the theme of prayer and deepening your prayer life. And uh, he has a quote in a recent entry by a man named Leonard Ravenhill. How many of you have heard that name before? If you're looking to be encouraged and lifted up, Leonard Ravenhill is not your guy to read after. Leonard Ravenhill is the kind of guy that leaves you thinking you're not a very good Christian and you've got some work to do. And there's a place for that. And uh, he said this, and this has been resonating in my mind and heart since I read it, um, and it happens to play into what we're talking about tonight. He said, to be much for God, we must be much with God. Let's unpack that for a second. To be much for God, we must be much with God. And, and I've been thinking on that and meditating on that truth a lot. I've been thinking about the depth of my relationship with God. Now, it must be said that I'm not concerned about the presence of that relationship. When you get saved, it's there. It doesn't go away. I'm talking about the depth it's just like a marriage. You can have two people that are legally, spiritually married, and there be no depth to that relationship. The relationship exists, but it's shallow. And there's a whole lot of Christians, and at times it's me too. The relationship exists, but we let it get shallow. By the way, it's always us. God never desires that. God wants us to have a deep, abiding intimacy with him. Jesus talked about it, about abiding with me and abiding in the, in the, in the branch and so forth, or abiding in the vine rather. Now, what is the ultimate measure of our communion with God? I think it's prayer. And I've confessed to you that of all the disciplines of the faith, the one that I wrestle with the most is a consistent, effectual, fervent prayer life. Now, I go to God's throne every day, more than once every day. And that, that doesn't mean a thing. It's that there needs to be depth. That there needs to be communion. 
We talked about communion a little bit this morning in our Sunday school class with the teens about how within the local church there's to be a communion. The Greek word is koinonia. And it's very closely related to the idea of compassion. It's a sharing of feelings. I think think the best way for me to illustrate it Anybody that's watching, I don't think we have any visitors tonight. I think everybody knows this. This is my wife, just to make sure. There have been times that one or both of us have been so emotionally overwhelmed that words didn't enter into the communion. And sometimes the way that manifests itself is I just lean in and I just lean my forehead against hers. We don't say a word, but we both are communicating so much in that moment. When's the last time that you or I just leaned into God? just listened and just meditated I'm really good at asking God for things telling him what I need and there's no wrong in that but if our marriage relationships or our other relationships consisted only in saying what we needed and what we wanted there wouldn't be much depth would it but what if I go to God And I lean my head against his. And I say, my God, what do you want? And then I be quiet and listen. And there's a communion there. An unbroken fellowship that is so sweet and so precious. We look at James, this passage, and we cherry-pick some things, and it's okay that we do, but we cherry-pick some things about different issues we might be facing. We touched on this passage not long ago and and did a little bit of that cherry-picking, and that's okay. But I'm I'm drawn to the theme of fellowship. (coughs) Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And I think the Lord has just just a couple of things for us tonight to ponder. And so if we're going to title this message, we'll title it this, Fellowship with God and Man. So, Father, would you help me to rightly divide your word of truth, be a help to your people tonight. Speak to us, we pray. May it be undeniably you. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. I want to give you just three thoughts tonight. They're not alliterated. They're just some basic principles, some thoughts that I hope will help you. Number one, 
Fellowship with God will yield fellowship with man. Fellowship with God will yield fellowship with man. Look at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. God has not called us to be hermits. He's not called us to be reclusive. It is his expectation that we interact with one another, if nowhere else than in his house. And when I am right with God and my communion with God is what it should be, the natural outflowing of that is that communion will translate to the saints. You cannot convince me that you have a strong communion with God if you find yourself never wanting to have any interaction with his people. We would say that our friends in the Catholic Church missed it when they packed up their ladies to nunneries and their men to monasteries and sent them up to the top of a mountain in reclusive study. We would say that's not scriptural. And yet Baptists have their own monasteries and our own convents. It's, listen, I get it. People need to get home. Understand that. And I'm not talking about the people that need to get home because they've got to work or they're not feeling well. or what. That's what I'm talking about. But when, when you come to church, and this is predominantly on Sunday mornings, when you come to church and you get your, your weekly dose of Scripture, and then you get out of there as fast as you can and don't have any interaction with any other Christians the rest of the week, I have a hard time believing your communion with God is what it ought to be. Because it's very clear from James, as he's talking about communion, he's saying that this involves other saints too, confessing our faults. Now, let's be clear. Faults and sins are not the same thing. I am under no obligation to confess my sins to you if they've not impacted you. You know, if, if, I, have, if I have a disagreement with my wife, I don't need to come to you and say, well, I need to confess to y'all that I had a disagreement with my wife. That's not how it works. I confess to the person that I've aggrieved, and I confess to the Lord Jesus. And that's it. I'm not a priest, and neither are you, except for our individual priesthood. But faults are different. Faults are when we're willing to sit down and say, man, I'll tell you, my attitude's been stinky lately. I'm struggling there. Can you pray for me? I'll tell you, I... (laughs) Man, I just, I've just had a lazy streak hit me. Would you pray for me? That's confessing your faults. And what that does is it brings with it a certain vulnerability and a certain openness that is necessary to grow as a Christian. It involves fellowship with others. 
Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Hard to pray for one another if we don't know what's going on in each other's lives. So if you want to measure your communion and your fellowship with God, the first question that I would ask of myself and you should ask of yourself is, how is my fellowship and communion with other Christians? Because if I find myself never wanting to be around the people of God, I'm probably not doing a good job of being around the God of the people. And this next one kind of goes with it. Number two, this fellowship, this fellowship with God that yields fellowship with man brings healing. Verse number 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Focus on that first part, that ye may be healed. Oh, so if I'm confessing my faults and I'm praying with one another, then this medical problem, this does not promise medical healing. Now, God sometimes in his sovereignty gives it, but it doesn't promise that. Let's, let's back up and let's get some context. Verse number 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, verse 15 doesn't promise physical healing either, but we're not going to get into that tonight. Then he shifts from physical illness to spiritual Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. So whereas verse 15, verse or 14 and 15 is focusing on physical needs, verse 16 moves into spiritual and emotional needs. So the healing here that's, that's, that's promised is not physical. It's spiritual and potentially emotional. All right, Andy. So what? I can't help but wonder how many Christians go through life perpetually wounded because they, they, they refuse the healing properties of fellowship. Think about it. When we are bothered, what is our natural inclination to withdraw? Most people. I saw a video the other day of a cat who had gotten his head completely inside a metal can. Fully. How it happened, the physics of it, I don't know. Because that cat's head was too big to fit in that can, and yet that cat accomplished the, the act. And so this cat is panicking and some well-meaning people decided to help the cat and what did the cat do scratch some people up 
I mean, claws out. It wasn't really much of a row because, you know, he's in a can. <laughs> the people were going, ah, you know. Finally, a guy wrapped the cat up in his coat and somewhat immobilized it, and they worked this can off the cat's head. And when that cat was free, what did it do? Thank you so much for your care and your concern. No, it got in one last and took off. What do we do when we're hurting? About the same thing. We lash out or we run away. But I'm telling you, and I know this from personal experience, if you'll take the sanctified risk of opening yourself up to people who love you, your healing will come much more quickly and much more thoroughly. I believe this with all of my heart. Had I not come to you as a church and told you how I was hurting and opened myself up to your scrutiny, I would not be standing here tonight. Somebody else would be preaching whether they occupy this, this position or not. I would not be your pastor tonight. If I'd have tried to internalize it, that'd have been it. Well, you'd have moved on to another church. No, I'd have been done with ministry. I'd have moved on to selling insurance. Or the only other thing that I'm trained at at all, I'd work at the funeral home. I'd just soon avoid that. But what happened when I allowed myself communion with God's people, there's healing to it. James tells us that. These prayers one for another, these confessions of faults one to another. that you may be healed. Last thing. Fellowship with God is going to yield fellowship with man. And this fellowship, this kind of communion brings healing. Third thing. There's no telling the power of prayerful fellowship. We cannot begin to measure what can happen if God's people commune with him and with one another in prayer. I'm nowhere near taking full advantage of that, but I'm trying to get there. We're still in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man 
availeth much. What's the context? This confession and prayer amongst ourselves? It is in this context that the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people avails much. Why doesn't God say it does this or it does that and just says avails much? Because God leaves it open-ended so he can do as much with it as he wants. It avails much. Many of you have been here longer than I have. And you have stories. You've told me some of them. You had a need, you went to God, and God met it. We needed a roof. We didn't have the money. We went to God. We got a roof. Can I remind you that God can build a building just as easy as he can repair a roof? Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But look what he goes on to say. Elijah, Elias, was a man subject to like passions as we are. (laughs) Elijah had issues, attitude problems, lusts. Distractions, just like we do, made of the same stuff as we are. Yeah, but he's not the same as us. I mean, Elijah took his coat and smacked the water and it rolled open for him to walk across. I can't do that. All right, well, let let me give you a little exercise. When you get to heaven, find Elijah and say, Elijah, man, what power of God rested on you. And you know what Elijah's going to say? Yeah, it rested on me. But the power of God lived in you. We have more than any Old Testament prophet ever dreamed of. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. But now, he lives within people. In the Old Testament, they could come to God when the conditions were right. In the New Testament, we come boldly before the throne of grace whenever we need it. We've got it better. Elijah, a man subject to like passions. Not perfect, wounded, flawed, just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Not only can I say theoretically that, that we have that kind of interaction with God, I can say it practically. There's some of you that you mentioned to me in passing on the way out, boy, we sure could use some rain. I'm going to pray God send some rain, and then I have to come to you and ask you, stop praying for rain, we got enough. Some of you have that kind of power with God. Some of these kids have that kind of power with God. Lord, we need a snow day. 
God used Elijah and he'll use us. I, I sometimes get caught in the trap of what in the world am I doing pushing the Family Life Center? What kind of Christian am I, let alone pastor am I, that I think I can lead the church down this road? I don't, I don't deserve for God to hear that prayer of me. I, I'm not worthy of that. You know what the Holy Spirit does to comfort me? He says, you're right, you're not. You never were and you never will be. I don't do things based on your worth. I do things based on my grace. But I'm going to tell you, you get prayers of fellowship together. God uses wounded, flawed, sinful people to do great, great things. So what's our, it's not really a so what, but what's our marching orders tonight as we finish up? We need to go home tonight. And we need to ask God to help us in two areas. First of all, Lord, help me to have a deeper communion with you. Vertical. And then, Lord, may it flow through me to have a deeper communion with others. And that's when prayer starts getting answered. Let's stand together, shall we?